0: Hello and welcome to the OA for Lent. The OA for Lent is a digital Lenten study guide and podcast that we've created based on the hit Netflix show, The OA. We're the creators and your hosts. I'm Keith Anderson.
1: And I'm Martin Malzahn.
0: And in this episode, we'll be talking all about the OA episode five, entitled Paradise. To see the study guide with scripture references and reflection questions and spiritual practices, to follow along and let us know what you think, visit our website, theoaforlent.com and you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, on with the show. So beginning with the last episode of our podcast, we decided not to go into too detailed a summary of the episodes because there's so much now going on in each episode. We really need time to get into the themes of it. But just as a reminder for episode five called Paradise, so we have this trip, which at first seemed to me, Martin, almost like a a diversion from the main storyline. We had had episode four and we're finding out about angels and the afterlife a little bit more and Katoon and the movements. And so all this stuff is coming together kind of in the context of the mine. And then all of a sudden we're going to Cuba. And I was like, what is going on that we're going now to Cuba? And as we see, Hap has heard the story of another NDE survivor, Renata, goes and hears her music, meets her, and then has this plan to lure her in using Homer, and then which also kind of breaks the rebellion that was happening in the basement uh, and breaks for a moment at least the bond between Homer and the OA. Uh, and just to jump into some of the big themes that I found in this episode, you know, one of the big themes in the episode, but also a big theme throughout this series, is the theme of imprisonment and freedom. Whereas some people in the series seem to be free, and yet they're really imprisoned. And some people in the series seem to be imprisoned, like those down in the mine, and yet find ways to be free. And I think that's a really interesting commentary for us and the ways that we imagine all the ways maybe in which we are free. But Lent calls us back to be aware of the ways in which we are imprisoned by our sin or by systems and and other things. Um, The OA said, It's hard to understand how confusing freedom is when you've been a prisoner for so long, how hard it is to grasp that you have a choice that you can act, how unimaginable the sun is if you've been living underground for years. Try to imagine what it's like to be a prisoner for all those years. You're not free just because you can see the ocean. Captivity is a mentality, something that you carry with you. So imprisonment and freedom to me stood out as a huge theme of the episode and for the whole series. Another theme was forgiveness and empathy. So in this moment where the bonds between uh, those in the mine and between Homer and the OA is broken by this betrayal, by this affair he has with Renata down in Cuba, um, we get to the point later in the episode where there is this forgiveness and reconciliation that happens really as the movements are being, you know, kind of explored and, and discovered. And so, and, but you can see in their faces and in the movements, the pain, right, that's there in this kind of moment of forgiveness. So we're almost like witnessing this wordless forgiveness that's happening kind of in the moment. And in those moments of forgiveness, it's hard, it's painful. Uh, There's the anger, there's the sense of betrayal, there's all the emotions that go involved, go along with it. And we see that all embodied in that moment. And then later on, we we see as she's telling the story to the five misfits in the abandoned house, how she's very, very peaceful about it, right? Like that moment is, has come and that moment is gone. And she's made her peace with Homer uh, in the mine. And now, like when Alfonso objects as he, she's telling the story, right? He says, I would never do that to you. And she says, you have to understand. you know." And so we see this forgiveness, like the, the peace that comes with forgiveness much later on, and the empathy uh, in time and distance that she has you know for homer and then finally, uh, in the last twelve minutes, we see this theme of death and resurrection, and I remember as I was watching the episode, I actually had to pause the episode with like fifteen minutes left because I think. I don't know if I was binge watching them all at once at the same time, but I kind of reached a saturation point and I had to just hit pause right in the middle of that episode. And then I came back to it maybe the next day and I put it on and this whole thing with Scott in the last 12 minutes happens. And I'm texting Martin saying, oh my God, Martin, now I see what you're talking about. (laughs) Look at this. And um, what we see there is, right, Scott has been, um, something's gone wrong with the experiment with Scott and Hap drags him into his cell, and he's there. He's got wounds on him, and he's bleeding out, right? So the blood is, like, kind of pouring out from him in these kind of different areas. And clearly, I mean, it could not be any clearer. Scott it looks like Jesus on the cross. So his, yes. his uh, dreadlocks are wrapped up around his head, and they look like a crown of thorns. His arms are extended out. Um, his legs are bent at such an angle that all the— classic iconography that you see of Jesus on the cross, his knees are bent that way, exactly that way. And then he even has like a loincloth over his groin, and it's exactly like Jesus on the cross. And then Homer and the OA, in this kind of moment of forgiveness, start these movements, and they're figuring out how they go together. And right as they do that, then this great song downtown by Magical Cloud starts, and we see... Like the blood rushing back to the body, and we even see the wounds and it's not exactly I don't know if you notice that martin like the, we saw this wound on it, wound on his hand kind of clear up and it wasn't exactly like in the middle of his hand like a stigmata like a like uh-huh. a nail wound from the cross, but it was pretty close, and then that wound uh just on the kind of the the heel of his palm uh heals up as well, and so we had this moment of this cross moment of death and resurrection that I completely geeked out on. Um, and you know if we if having angels in the afterlife um, and you know, kind of spirituality of the body wasn't enough here, we it's like hitting you over the head. Here is Jesus on the cross, having died and being resurrected.
1: yeah, if the uh, if episode uh, you know four is the halfway point and you know gives you some of these like really aha moments with the movements. Episode five is clearly where this becomes the OA for Lent. (laughs) 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 This, you know, he dies. Scott is dead. Yeah. Um, And there's this real sadness Mm -hmm. and he's in the tomb, right? Mm -hmm. He's, you know, with Joseph of Arimathea, you know, in this stone place. And then he comes back to life.
0: And then he was explaining everything. Right. So we get right at the end there are five movements and I have the third movement. So he was the biggest doubter of the movements, right. Be going into that and then even kind of sells them out to Hap, right. He tells them, Oh, she thinks yep. they're angels and all that. And then he, he awakens and I re, kind of rewatched it. Like you actually don't see him talking from the floor at first. You just hear his voice and you see like the OA and the Homer's and Rachel's faces kind of all kind of reacting to this revelation that he's bringing back to them and um, that it's like really real. And that there is, you know, what Katoon had kind of talked about in episode four, you know, now they're kind of describing what this, what all this is.
1: Well, did you catch the way in which before Scott comes back to life, the way in which they ask him, uh, you know, how did you explain an NDE to people in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. is where he's from. Yeah. And he says, well, I didn't like, I know better. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I'm>, I, <laughs> and I wonder if uh, he would have that same response now, like having had <laughs> like a longer NDE where, you know, people observe him lifeless. It's not just that you're unconscious and you have no heartbeat, but Mm -hmm. that the blood has gone out of you and then it pools and then it comes back into you, Yeah, which, you know, seems to be qualitatively different than resuscitation, right? This is actually resurrection. Yes. Yes.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's part of the what we see playing out with EOA as she's meeting with the FBI counselor and talking with her parents you know there is this question that remains is this really real is this story true is she an angel is who is she who she thinks she is or who we imagine her to be like these are questions that are still you know up in the air with this and so you see in OA she's very she tells her story to the five in the abandoned house but she hasn't told her parents yet That's true. And and it's only the FBI agent that you know is kind of this unorthodox, very kind of empathetic, understanding guy that she's then slowly able to open herself up to. So, and I think even she said, and it was episode four or five, she said, "If I tell you the story, you're going to say I'm crazy and have me locked up." She said that Uh to her. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That that's one of these themes of like, who can we tell our stories to? Who are (laughs) going to Who are going to listen? Uh, yes. You know, he, you know, Renata doesn't want to talk with Hap when uh, she when he goes to Cuba, right. and he he has to go back a second time. This mm-hmm. time with Homer because mm-hmm. he recognizes that the person she wants to talk to. I don't think it's just that it's a younger, attractive person, but it's also somebody who's gone through the same experience she's had yeah. and has come back with this overwhelmingly, you know, kind of appreciation for life and a greater sensitivity not just to you know have gifts to play musical instruments but to be able to see the world differently and hap has not had this experience as much as he wants it and tries to latch on to the experiences of others Mm -hmm. it's not his experience
0: Yep, yeah she i remember she says to him at one point i prefer to remain a mystery even to myself (laughs) so she had not fully analyzed her own kind of NDE experience and and what has come after for her.
1: So Keith, one of the big uh, themes for you really was between captivity and freedom. And mm-hmm. we've seen this play out in a lot of both in the real time with the five misfits, as well as in the recollection from the mine. Uh, what yeah. were the themes that continue to stand out for you around captivity and freedom?
0: Yeah, I think I'm drawn back to the Hard in our confession maybe it's for Ash Wednesday maybe we talked about that a little earlier in a different podcast we talk about in the Ash Wednesday confession we are held captive by our sin um, and you know a lot of times I'm not a big stickler on worship things like you know I'm not I'm not a big stickler when it comes to what prayers or confession we use in that it doesn't always have to be like the old school confession for me. I like to mix it up. I like to have more contemporary language, but sometimes it's really nice to say those old prayers, just like at weddings. I feel like it's nice to say the old school vows, you know, to commit to those things in sickness and health for better, for worse. For me, at least in my wedding, it felt very important for me to say those things. Um, And it's important for me at times like Ash Wednesday or in the season of Lent to recover some of that language, we are held captive by our sin and cannot free ourselves. I think that's how the confession goes. Um, and so we are imprisoned by our sin and we're made free by Christ, but you know, we continue to sin, we're sinners and saints at the same time, and so we hold this sense of freedom and captivity, I think, kind of side by side, just like we're sinners and saints, we're, we're free and captive almost at the same time. I think that's part of who we are, but um, especially I think sometimes in America, we love to talk about how free we are. We're so free. We're free, free, free. And, <laughs> and, and we lose the fact that um, you know, we, we too have responsibilities and obligations to others, whether it's in the global community or you know, in, our, in our local community or in our nation. We're struggling with that right now, but we're not entirely free. Um, because also, as we see in our nation right now, sin is very real and very present.
1: Well, or maybe to continue that stream of thought as well, is that the way in which we want to be with others who are experiencing the same thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even there's that sense that Homer imprisons Renata, uh, so that, and you know, and the quality of how that happens, we can kind of debate, but mm-hmm. the fact that, now he has invited somebody else into the exact same captivity he's in. <laughs> yes. To me, that's you know, strikes me as one of these really interesting sub themes that is not really explored a lot in the episode, but yeah. becomes really qualitatively important for I think the way in which we are. You know, yeah. we're all held captive by our mortgages, our auto loans, <laughs> our student loans, yes. you know, yes. health health care. And as long as we're in it together then we're in it together. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if it's just me going through bankruptcy or if it's just me going through a health care crisis, it seems less important or it seems different than.
0: Yes, yes. Um, and that's when we gather for Ash Wednesday and we receive the ashes on our forehead, there is that moment where we are together in this. You know, We're together on the journey to Easter, but we're together in this dichotomy of, of freedom, of imprisonment, of being sinners and saints. Uh, of being, you know, made in the image of God, and also finite and fragile.
1: Well, it also then begins to be that quality of forgiveness and empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, you you really explore this uh, well in the online study guide, but. That sense in which, uh, you know, Alfonso is saying, oh, I would never, uh, I wouldn't have done that to you. You know, when uh, Renata and Homer become intimate mm-hmm. in Cuba, where it's clear that uh, the OA and Homer have this uh, this emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And, she, you know, and she forgives him. Yeah. And she says, you know, it's but it's not like that. You yeah. know, you, you wouldn't understand.
0: Yeah, we've somehow turned everybody into our enemies and into the other i mean that's one of my sadnesses in our civic life at the moment that somehow we're we're all pitted against each other and always 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 we wind up having more in common than not you know our kind of shared humanity our hopes our dreams our sufferings our failings when you get into those deeper things we are so alike and so connected and yet we've chosen or allowed ourselves to only focus on the small amount that separates us and to make that everything, as opposed to the things that we truly share, which is Uh, most everything
1: yeah well and there's that way then in which that becomes literally visible in episode five you know and again we have these numerology things happening here episode five it's the five misfits Mm. it's the five in the mind it's the five it's the five movements and recognizing that on our own we can't do it Mm -hmm. but together we are able to do something amazing And it may be as amazing as this resurrection of Scott. But if they only have three movements, wow, what's the next thing that's going to happen when they have (laughs) four and five?
0: That's right, right. Yeah, she has this quote from the episode. She says, I feel like where my movement ends, your movement begins. Maybe they're connected like the pieces of a puzzle. And it just kind of screamed to me thinking about the body of Christ, you know, Paul writes about how the church or the community of faith is like a body. And you have all these different parts that do all these different things and have all these different functions. And yet alone and on their own, they can't do anything. They're dead. Literally, they're dead. But together, um, working together, they are the body, they are the community, and truly do amazing things. Um, I did a, I wrote a blog post recently, and I sort of used that metaphor. And thinking about all the ways, you know, online in these digital spaces, we have all this fake news, and and kind of the aftermath of the election, realizing it's like people are living in different realities. A lot of people had talked about that. People felt like people were living in two different worlds or different realities. And part of that was due to the fact that we've customized our experience on the web so much. That even though we're all on this network together, say Facebook or, or Twitter or something else, our experience is so tailored to ourselves that we've created these echo chambers. And so wow. in, in this post, I talked about how it's not that, you know, like when Paul writes about the body, it's not like the hand and the foot and the eye and the ear, they're all bickering with each other. They actually don't even know that they exist, right? They don't even know that the other one exists anymore. And that's truly the problem to, you know, kind of reconnect people neighbors communities churches uh together for the sake of the common good
1: well and that's one of the things i like about this project keith is that you know at least in theory what we're doing is we're connecting the pragmatic spirituality uh you know binge watching <laughs> <laughs> where we where where we spend our time with our you know uh our ambitious spirituality, you know, Mm -hmm. whether that's the the ambition of going to chapel or church, but not quite making it there, or the ambition of, you know, finding a spiritual guide or finding a, a devotional time. And it's just so hard to carve out that time.
0: Yeah. And, but who's to say this isn't church, or this isn't chapel, or this isn't Bible study? You know, that's the thing. It's even hard for somebody that's very invested and involved in digital faith formation and digital projects, you know, like me, and I know you are too, you incorporate technology into all the different things you do, uh, in your chaplaincy, but it's still, there's still this element of it that says if people aren't in a room together, it's not real. And Uh I feel that as a pastor. And I think you know, my parishioners, you know, feel that too. And in this process and the people that we've been connecting to and hearing from and the reaction to the podcast or the study guide or to the just to the episodes themselves, it's like this is some holy ground that we're exploring here with people. And um, I think we need to think about like, oh, the Holy Spirit's here. Two or more are gathered even on a podcast. Uh-huh. 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 <laughs> and there are more more gathered here with us because they're listening wherever they are. Uh, if they're in the subway or they're on vacation, uh, we're gathered together here around uh, the Word, and this is real.
1: Well, and maybe it's part of that message is that spirituality is both harder than we think, but maybe it's also way easier than we think <laughs> Yes, uh, because it's different than we think, and we have to be shown a way into what that, uh, what that way is. There's a way in which we've been talking with uh, so many different folks about the ways in which this is helping us think differently about our own spiritual journeys. Do you, have, do you have any stories of folks who've you know shared some of that awakening moments?
0: One of my favorite things this past week is I had a prisoner who's on vacation and she posted a picture on the OA for Lent Facebook page. And it was a picture, I think, from her like hotel balcony. And it had the beach and the ocean and palm trees swaying in the breeze, which, you know, as we've been in the midst of this snowstorm in New York and Philadelphia this week, was (laughs) slightly hard to take. But she said, I'm here listening to your podcast as I'm sitting here basically on the balcony at the beach listening to – it was when we were talking about families, I think, in the last episode and about how often when you go to college, you're creating new families. And she said, I'm reflecting on this and, you know, with a kid that's thinking about going up, you know, thinking about college, going off to college and what that means. And and she did have this kind of, you know, kind of note to say, this is like the only thing I can sort of get to right now. Um, sort of say, you know, with that same kind of instinct that I had, like, but we're not together in a room on a Wednesday evening, which is all <laughs> good. And we're doing that, too. But um, there is that element of like, is this really real? Because it's kind of cool and it feels kind of real, but. Is it really real? And Uh. I think what we're hearing back from people is, you know, it is, and it's been really great to see. So, and as we've been talking about, I hope when the series has wrapped up, you know, one of the cool things about the series is it's just going to live here online. So people can plug into it anytime. If they can't watch the whole OA before Easter, you can watch it later. You know, when next Lent rolls around, people can do the OA for Lent on their own and every, all the materials will already be there for them. Um, and you can go back to it. You know, you can do parts of the study guide now, do parts of the study guide later, whether they're practices or the questions, depending on, on your time. And it's just allowing people to discover God and the work of the Spirit in their lives, you know, when they can, where they can. Well, one of the themes I think is really powerful in episode five as well is the theme of music, um, which is ever present, you know, in TV series and movies. You know, it's Hardly a moment where there's not some kind of music bad kind of going on underneath, but music plays a really important role in this episode, especially, but also in the OA more generally. So Renata's music, when she's playing on the guitar, everybody in that bar is transfixed, right? Like Hap is transfixed and the bartender behind him, everybody is like frozen in place Mm. the first time he sees her. And then when they go back and he takes Homer, Homer and Hap are also then again transfixed by the music. Uh-huh. Uh, and so Renata's music is a is a powerful part of this episode, and actually one of the spiritual practices we invite you to on the study guide on the website is to listen to that. We've embedded the that music clip. It's like about two and a half minutes of that song, and you can play that and to listen to it, you know, more deeply as they did, and maybe even listen to it almost like a prayer. Um, And I have to say that I've listened to that song, Downtown, where the one that plays when Scott is resurrected, I've listened to that way too many times. It's almost to the point of being creepy, but I dig it somehow. Um, And in the guide, we put a link to somebody put together a whole playlist for um, the OA, the whole season. So you could listen to all the different songs that are included throughout the entire season it's interesting to look at the titles because some of them relate to the themes. And it's a whole diversity from, you know, the heavy metal to the more ambient, like downtown or Spanish, you know, guitar playing, uh, classical guitar playing like we have uh, with Renata. So music plays a big role. And Martin, that's been something that's been a big part of the whole series for you from the very beginning.
1: Yeah, I'll uh, I'll confess to having listened to that playlist uh, more than once or maybe even more than 20 times. <laughs> Well, and I, I think about that playlist in two regards. So we have the the way in which you know the captives. Uh, you have Nina, then Prairie, then the OA's violin playing, and then you've got uh, Rachel with perfect pitch, and then you've got Renata as the guitar player. So you see that the NDEs were able to bring out a different mode of communication. Mm. And if these are angels, like we're saying, you know, there's this stereotype that angels are playing heavenly music. Mm. Uh, so what is the quality with which they're communicating using a literal different language? That's interesting to me. I think equally interesting to me, though, is the accompaniment music to the series, Mm. the way in which, um, you know, one of the creators is a musician himself, right? right? Right. And so we find that, you know, this is not just background music to fill in a mood, Mm. but that this may be storytelling in itself. And it, Serves both as a, a device in which to introduce characters, but I think it also feels serves as a device with which to connect with an emotive part of ourselves. Um, and you know that that music that they chose for the resurrection scene of Scott is mm-hmm. just wow. Yeah, if you don't listen, if you only listen to it once, I would be surprised.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> and let us know because we're well past that. Yeah, and and even they've used music sort of ironically or with a little tongue in cheek, like when Prairie came to Haps' mine and like he offers her the phone to call her parents to let her know that she's there, and he turns on Operator by Jim Croce. Oh yeah, Jim Croce. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when that music comes on, she sort of realizes uh, this is not what I th- now this is not what I expected this was going to be. And this yeah. call is probably not going to go through. So, yeah, music keeps coming up. And I think you're right that the background music, the um, it, it does add to kind of the emotive nature of the entire experience. Um, so if the series is wanting to draw us into thinking about the body and being reengaged with the body, music also plays a part of that in, in engaging our senses, you know, and more than just uh, our eyes Uh, on the TV screen or our ears for the dialogue, but there's this other, as you said, you know, communication, something that's being imparted to us uh, at the same time as we're watching the story play on. I think it adds to, to the experience of each episode.
1: Well, and your, your spiritual practice for this to just listen to Renata's song and to listen to it, not musically, but listen to it as a prayer. Yeah. I think you know. I, I think there's something to that. Um, I think that we will engage ourselves and our world and God uh, differently uh, if we begin to imagine that that's exactly what this is. This is uh, a chords of prayer.
0: Well, didn't Hildegard of Bingen say um, singing is praying twice or something like that? Yeah. You know. Yeah. That I mean, there's again a whole tradition of sacred music, and that you know, beautiful music draws us into the presence of God. And why can't that be? And I think that's, well, who knows exactly what's going on in Cuba when they're listening to this music, but it draws them into a transcendent moment. And that is part of what church music and sacred music is designed to do.
1: Well, it's what church music and sacred music is designed to do. And it's what pop music does. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, To me, one of the most powerful uh, moments in pop culture of the last six months was on Saturday Night Live uh, after the election. Mm -hmm. And they had uh, the character who plays Hillary Clinton comes out and plays the Leonard Cohen song who died that week of Hallelujah. Yeah. And, you know, suddenly the words are not it's not just leonard cohen which is hallelujah is just this amazing song on its own Mm -hmm. and it's not just a defeated political character but you put both of these together and it becomes this transcendent moment i think for you know the nation you know whether one supported uh you know candidate clinton or not it becomes this real palpable sense of both disappointment and like you know i came and like i gave you everything i had and you said it wasn't enough did you ever see that movie, uh, Walk the Line, about Johnny Cash? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's there's that really great scene where he's about to get uh, signed by a a record label, and he begins to sing a spiritual, gospel spiritual, and they stop him right in the middle of it. And Mm -hmm. they're like, I don't want to, you know, that's good, you know, please leave. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, what are you saying? He's like, I'm saying that, you know, I don't believe you. And he says, are you saying I don't believe in God? And he's saying, No, what I'm saying is, I've heard this song again and again. Mm. And if you had only one song to sing, would you sing the same old song over and over? Yeah. Or would you sing something true, something real? Yeah. And that's where this moment where Joaquin Phoenix playing Johnny Cash says, Okay, I got something for you. And this kind of this scowl comes over his face and this <laughs> rumble comes from his voice. And he mm. says, I hear that train of coming, it's coming around the bend and you, you know, and all of a sudden you get, uh, you know, Folsom Prison Blues. Yeah, yeah. And the guy's like, yes, that's what I want.
0: Uh Yeah.
1: And I wonder if that, there's this way in which for so many of us, we have this sense that our prescribed spiritual actions or our prescribed religiosity is supposed to be a hymn, if it's supposed to be something classical, Mm -hmm. or if what this show is helping us unlock is that there's a way in which what our spirituality and our religiosity is supposed to be is real, our lived experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, I think that's more and more the case that uh, the more I take my starting point as the lived experience and the real, and then ask faith questions about it, that's what connects and that's what unlocks something. And the church, we have to figure that out pretty quick um, because that's where people are and that's where God is too. Well, this has been another great conversation. And just like we listened to the OA playlist on Spotify many, many times, we could go on and on and on. But um, we're going to sign off for now. And we thank you guys for listening. And we remind you to connect with us on our website, theoaforlent.com. You can connect with us on Facebook at our Facebook page, The OA for Lent, or on Twitter at the OA for Lent as well. You can Google us and find us. And we look forward to hearing more from you about what you're thinking, what you're wondering about. And uh, we're really excited to go through these final three episodes with you. Um, if you haven't seen them yet, they are amazing. And it's going to be really hard to take your time and wait for each study guide if if uh, if that's the way you're moving through it. So we understand if you want to blaze ahead and then follow back with us uh, when we get to episode six. So you guys take care and be well.
1: Be well. Bye-bye.